In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pillar had been the first word that came to mind for Jane. Pillar of her family, pillar of the city and this church. But pillar is a dusty word, so I was going to add a pretty one. And she was a jewel of a lady, too. Then the Bible offered up a better word. Tuesday afternoon, Lisa was looking over the prayer book's list of suggested readings for this funeral service. For each suggestion, it gives a short description. On the list was Isaiah 61. The description says, to comfort all that mourn. At that point, Tuesday, in all of us, mourning felt like shock. Lisa looked up. What else does it say? Could you read the passage? I went over to the shelf and picked up a Bible. Make of this what you will. In my hands, it opened to Isaiah 61. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. Oak. There's a word for Jane that blends the strength of a pillar and the beauty of a jewel. I have a particular oak tree in mind, a giant willow oak I love on Hawthorne Road. Broad, rooted, vibrant, green, it covers the street. Watch it shimmer on a windy day. I knew about Jane since I was 12 years old and moved to Little Rock. My source was her nephew, Herbert Thomas III, who had reached out and befriended me. Herbert would tell me about Little Rock while beating me at tennis. We'll get two good snow days almost every year. By the way, it's 40 love. <laughs> Herbert was proud of his cousin Frank, who played for Hall. And in talking about Frank, he would throw in compliments to Frank's mother, Jane. Most grown-ups are invisible to teens, but Jane was not to Herbert. For the next 50 years, that truth didn't budge an inch. Lisa mentioned it in passing Tuesday that Jane was a feather in her grandchildren's caps. When college friends would come to town, they wanted to hang out with Jane. Sophie said to Lisa, Mom, I don't know my friend's grandmothers, but they all know mine. Oaks of righteousness, what's that? I still keep a big fat dictionary by my desk. Random House, second edition, unabridged. I looked up righteous just to see what it would say. It means cool and the opposite of cool. Literally, it means upright, virtuous, moral, as in righteous indignation. None of that is cool. But definition number four reads metaphorical, righteous, slang, absolutely genuine or wonderful, as in some righteous playing by a jazz great. Now righteous is the epitome of cool. Jane was all of it. 
righteous in the cool way, and also in the way that isn't charmed by cool. She navigated by a higher star. I also looked up the growth stages in an oak tree. Google gave me six. Sprout, seedling, sapling, mature, ancient, and decay. We never saw decay in Jane. Jane. She was ancient like the willow oak, powerful and majestic. Thinking back to Sprout, she was born in 1926, the same year as Harper Lee. As a sapling, I could picture Jane as Scout and to kill a mockingbird. Her high school years were almost exactly those of World War II. She was mature at 37 when John F. Kennedy was killed and 42 when we landed on the moon. She raised three boys through the tumult of the 60s and had what that took, which was ingenuity and spunk wrapped up with love. At 51, she suffered the death of Frank Sr., her husband, and at 75, the death of Frank Jr., her son. She was 87 when she lost her second husband, Bob. According to an old song, without a hurt, the heart grows hollow. Jane's heart was full. After starting life as Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, the book, Jane evolved over time into Elizabeth Taylor playing Leslie Benedict in the latter scenes of Giant, the movie. By then, Leslie was the foxy, gray-haired matriarch to a sprawling, lively clan of Texans. The Benedicts did not exactly match what Leslie's husband, Big, Rock Hudson, thought a rancher's family ought to look like, but Leslie showed him how to see the glory in it. Oil and cattle were their stock in trade, while Jane's Arkansas clan built Pyramid Life, the Red Apple Inn, and Cheese Dip. Jane still looked so good at the age of 92 that Elizabeth Taylor might have wanted beauty tips. The beauty ran deep. Jane was artistic, but she wasn't artsy-fartsy. Her philanthropy was sensible and businesslike. She was loyal, a fixed point for family and friends through ups and downs. She was elegant. Two church nights that Julie and I won't forget were spent at Jane's place at River Bend. Russian winter nights, she called them. Carol Laskaroff played Tchaikovsky on violin, while guests sipped white Russians and ate smoked fish and caviar. She was sharp and talked straight and to the point, but she was also warm and kind. If, in 1926... A gypsy fortune teller or an angel had come to Ruby and Herbert Thomas Sr. and shown them their baby daughter's life in full. They would have felt the peace that passes understanding. In my father's house are many dwelling places. What Jesus meant by that we'll come to in a moment, but first the same can be said of the house of Little Rock Volunteer Philanthropy. 
I was explaining Trinity Cathedral to a young member of our staff who was having trouble scheduling a committee meeting. Everyone was always busy. Yep, I said. There are lots of good things that need doing around our town, and our folks are shouldering the load for quite a few of them. To illustrate, I brought up an art center event that I went to last spring, where four women were recognized for lifetime contributions, and all four of them were members here. One of them, of course, was Jane, her work going back to 1963. As much as she means to us here, she means that much to art in Little Arkansas and to nursing and to cancer research. Around town, it will take a team to fill her shoes. Here, she was that oak I mentioned. Just for one example, for several years now, Jane had funded a choral scholars program for young singers, helping them and raising our music to a higher key. Now it's Jane whose life is lifted to a higher key. In my father's house are many dwelling places. In movies, there sometimes come a, comes a comment towards the end that signals, yes, there will be a sequel. In John's Gospel, Jesus does that here. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Even his disciples aren't convinced. Logically, Jesus' assurance, if it weren't true, would I have told you, is circular. For proof, that doesn't do the job. But in art and gospel writing, logic is not the only way to signal truth. Already in John's gospel, other signs have appeared that attest the claim. Strange things, like water turned to wine. John's readers know what the disciples don't, that Easter is coming with timpani and trumpets a little later in the story. We see and taste and hear the proof between the lines. I go to prepare a place for you. It turns on the imagination. I had started with thought, the thought of Jesus at the Red Apple Inn, brand spanking new, making beds, fluffing pillows, switching on lamps for Jane, the heaven of a Hallmark card. Discarding that, I thought of a better analogy to Jane's father, Herbert Thomas Sr., walking Ozark ridges in the 1950s, topography map in hand, marking, then buying, elevated land above the Little Red, high and dry now before the dam, but shoreline property someday. He hauled in extra dirt to build the causeway, a land bridge out to Eden Isle. Like Noah's Ark, it was ready for the flood. We drive back and forth across it now, taking it for granted because it was prepared. That raises our sights to the heaven of a civil engineer, which is still a pale comparison. Because the Lord isn't buying land and moving dirt to prepare a place for Jane, for us. He is making earth, rivers, mountains, stars, again, from scratch.
And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. The lamb on the throne will shepherd them, we're told. That's Christ, the shepherd lamb. Lambs we know and shepherds we know, but seeing lambs do shepherd things is new. Imagine our delight at seeing familiar things enhanced to unfamiliar roles. Now Jane is Dorothy, meeting Scarecrow, Lion, and Tin Man. She looks down to Sophie Fierce McGee, her grand dog. Sophie, I have a feeling we're not in Claiborne County anymore. The weather has changed for better, and so is the food economy. They will hunger no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. This is paradise for real. From his cross, Jesus promised it to a thief for no more reason that this thief knew goodness when he saw it and had faith enough to ask a favor. No wonder heaven is filled with multitudes no one could count, of every color, from every tribe and nation, speaking every language known on earth, and for all we know, more languages from other worlds. The Lamb will guide this massive, multicolored, multilingual flock to springs of water, we are told. The waters of eternal life. This is water turned to wine. But now I come back to thinking of the Ozarks. Because of all the tribes and nations on the planet Earth, we in Arkansas know springs. We've got them, hot and cold. Right now, I'm thinking of clear and cold, Mammoth Spring, Blanchard Springs, and such. A favorite of mine is the spring-fed swimming hole at Cotter, with that graceful old four-arched White River Bridge. Jane was four when it was built. High up, nearby, a heavenly scene on summer days. There was a rope swing there with kids from town lined up every afternoon. By the age of 12, they're experts at flips and cannonballs. They take their turns to grab the rope and swing out high and show their stuff, splashing into cheers, laughter, and applause. Dogs are barking, having fun. Hey, look who's next. A sapling girl who is new to this spring. She reminds someone of Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird and just as brave. She's got the rope in her hand now. Hey, y'all, watch this, she shouts. There she goes, up, up and away, a somersault, and splash. <laughs> 